Today's episode of Tampering is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think that Lakers tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score some last-minute tickets. Everybody's going to interpret that I'm trying to tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering with Sam Amick and Joe Vargas. It's a beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with the tampering, they're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Everybody went off like I tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper, I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast at The Athletic Above the Paywall. My name is Sam Amick, NBA reporter for The Athletic. So here's the breakdown, folks. I'm here with friend and colleague Joe Varden, fellow NBA reporter at The Athletic and insider extraordinaire Sham Sharania. If anybody listening had not listened to our pod in the past, it's an exciting episode, exciting week. We've been behind the paywall at The Athletic for quite some time. But no better time than the first week of the regular season to change that up, to go ahead and jump out to the mass audience and talk about this game that we enjoy covering. Um, gentlemen, a lot to get into. Joe, my friend, how are you? kind of liked it when people had to pay for our jokes, but, um, you know, <laughs> I guess we'll uh, – I mean, we're, we're so funny that they'll uh, – you know, that people just line up and, and do it for free. No, I'm – I'm good. I'm excited, man. I, I, I can't wait. Um, I'm going to be boarding a flight for L.A. And, and I'll become platinum on United. So, you know, everything's uh, on the up and up here. Shams, my friend, what's going on, sir? Yeah, I'm just following Joe's lead. I'm just trying to be on the up and up. Don't do that. Don't follow Joe's lead. Bad example. Yeah. Uh, Sam, well, every time Shams comes on our show, he gets um, he, he's just he, he never he's never quite sure what we're going to say. You know, so he's just a little, he's just kind of waiting. He's kind of, it's like a feeling out process. (laughs) No, you make it, it's like when you're in high school and you go to a party that you think is going to be pretty chill. And then you're like, oh, that guy's here. Like, that's how you make it. I love you, but that's just the truth. You know, you, (laughs) you liven it up, but there, there, uh, there's a lot to get into guys. And, and I, I don't even know how to wrap our heads and the listeners heads around the state of the NBA within this past week. Um, first and foremost, I am authentically fired up for the action because you guys know the rhythm of a season when you cover this game for quite some time you go through this thing that's almost analogous to the players themselves where you know we cover the playoffs all the all the way through the finals and then you eventually get a little bit of downtime after free agency and then that's enjoyable and all but then you start kind of jonesing for the action and as much fun quote unquote as the preseason has been there you look at the calendar and it's like all right here we go and it's not only you know opening tip and regular season and and the real stuff but this season in particular and what i want to get into uh right off the top here is it's a different landscape guys we all know the backstories we all know how crazy the summer was yeah the la teams stocking up ad and that trade obviously before free agency hit and then the clippers doing what they did getting Kawhi leonard paul george we will get into all of that as if it's not enough, and, and the Warriors kind of obviously falling back, losing Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson getting hurt. As if the hoops wasn't enough, you've got this one of a kind backdrop, one of a kind story with the China conflict, where you know the NBA is sideways with the Chinese government and the situation in Hong Kong, and the Daryl Morey tweet that is going to go down in infamy, seven words that changed things forever. The Rockets GM uh, voicing his view on the protests in Hong Kong. Uh, a lot of layers to this. Uh, Sham, since you were nice enough to join us this week and to kick us off on the uh, debut above the paywall episode, let me kick it your direction first. You know, you're always deep in all these different stories, and, and we know that the storyline list is extremely long. 
very ba- kind of a forward, you know, basic question for you. Just for you, the fan inside of you, so to speak, what's got your attention the most? What are you fired up to see this year? Yeah, I think what this summer gave was just liquidity around the league. Like you have probably eight teams that think they're going to be at least going to the Eastern Conference Finals or Western Conference Finals in each respective conference. Um, you know, you have Philadelphia and Milwaukee in in the um, in the in the East, and then you have several teams. You know, Denver, Houston, the Lakers, um, uh, the Clippers, Utah, Portland, all thinking that they're going to be Conference Final teams. You know, that's their goal uh, for the upcoming season. If not better, obviously, some of those teams have finals aspirations as well. Um, so I think just how, how wide open it is, that was one of the first things that pops up in my mind. Um, and, and just a, a bunch of storylines, teams that can go, uh, could, could rise, could fall. And a lot of it will be based on, on, on health. Uh, and you look at the two LA teams, right? You have Anthony Davis, LeBron James. Like if one of those guys they're, they're so meaningful to the to, to the organization if one of those guys gets injured like it's going to be difficult for that lakers team um i think to to contend and same same goes for the clippers i think health is, is going to be very much the key throughout uh the western conference and the eastern conference all right great perspective now joe i'm going to throw it to you this way you and i first met when you were obviously covering the cleveland cavaliers and for the listeners and, and we don't want to assume that anybody knows our profiles at all you know, Joe did a great job in the Cavs for a number of years, comes from the political news world and made a transition into sports some time ago um, this season. First time as a national writer last year. Listen, you were basically a national writer, killing it, doing great LeBron James coverage and, and much, much more. But you and I met with you on the Cavs meet. You and I uh, beat. You and I met when you were covering Cavs Warriors and when the NBA universe was basically about two teams. And it was the assumption almost every single year that we knew who was going to be there in June going toe to toe once again. So with that in mind, and the Warriors taking, you know, more of a backseat, the Cavs certainly in a whole different place, LeBron in LA. Um, how do you see this new and improved, you know, NBA landscape? Yeah. I mean, we've done an introduction. We've had a preamble. We've talked to Shams and no point where the Cavs mentioned. I mean, come on, we got to get into Cleveland Cavaliers. No, we don't. With everybody's going right. <laughs> um, it's funny just because you introduced it that way. This is the most wide open year, certainly since I've been in the league and and going way back before that. And it is up. It's up for grabs. There's so many teams that have a chance and everybody's excited. There's teams who think that they're going to win. And in the, in the end, that probably won't. And And you're right. Coming into virtually every year before this one. We either knew it was going to be one team or two teams, and now it's like one of like three or four teams that have that are not a part of that conversation are the Cavs, and so you know from from a Cleveland perspective, it's 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 hard for them just because the whole league is so excited, and there's just not as much going on there. From a league perspective, I mean, you want to say that it all starts in in Los Angeles, and it's hard not to it's hard not to agree with that. Um, you look at the LeBron AD pairing and and how that is going to work. I think it's going to work tremendously well. I think LeBron is going to be able to transition a little bit into a spot that is good for him at age 36. And Anthony Davis, I think his level of play will increase, which is something LeBron used to do all the time. He always used to raise guys' level of play. And I'd say probably about the last two seasons, two plus seasons. He hasn't done that. So I think that's going to change this year. And then you look at the Clippers and I I mean, you know, like I said, I'm going to be there. I'll be there for opening night. Um, doing a a feature I'm going to be doing all year long. Maybe we can get into later, but, um, you look at the Clippers and yes, they have Paul George and yes, they have Kawhi Leonard, but they are deep. I mean, they have, I I don't know, three or four guys that are excellent. that are going to come off their bench. You might question what they do at the point guard spot. Maybe if you want to talk about, um, uh, a big, but, but overall, I mean, they are probably, I think the deepest team in, in the NBA, uh, on opening night. And so, that's where I look, but they're both in the Western Conference. So, you know, we're going to get some we're going to get somebody out of the East. Uh, this is great insight here, but we're going to get somebody out of the East who's very good. And, uh, <laughs> Expert you know, analysis. but it's it's top right to bottom. And, and I'm just you know, I, I'm 
like you guys, I am excited. Uh, I do believe it's wide open. I do like teams like Utah as well. Interested to see what the Sixers do, but I, I I'm pretty. I, I feel pretty good about um, LA kind of being this the the you know the center of gravity here. Well, you get you pique my curiosity, Joe. Um, so we're going to talk a ton of LA, and since you kind of alluded to it, uh, this is not on my radar. It sounds interesting. What is the feature that the readers can uh, behind the paywall readers that is folks. Uh, can plan on enjoying when it comes to uh, the L.A. story and, the, you know, kind of what you're getting into right away. Yeah. So we had a lot of success. And this was um, this is something that I, I guess you could say it started in Cleveland, um, not at the athletic. Actually, it came to the athletic as well. And and uh, and then we as a company had a lot of success with it last year at the finals um, doing something called first thoughts, which is. For those of you who know, as athletic customers, almost everything we do takes a while. We try to take you behind the box score, deep into the locker room, and, and those stories take a while to write, plain and simple. And one of the things that we didn't do is is we didn't file on deadline. And so my job at the finals was to do as much reporting and analysis before and during the game as I could and then hit send as soon as the game was over. Uh, and it was something we called first thoughts. We ran it after all six finals games. Um, it did very well, both in terms of readership and, and business. So we were very happy with that. And so what we want to do uh, this year is we want to introduce as many people as we can to that idea. Um, and so we're for all the sort of the tent pole games. So it's like the opener. And then there's another one this week I'm going to go to and then Christmas and, you know, night before Thanksgiving. And then when you start getting into the Saturday night games of the week, we're going to do something like that. It, it may not be right after the game, but it might be first thing the next morning, like like you would see a normal newspaper story or whatever. Um, might call it final thoughts during the regular season instead of first thoughts. But the idea is um, is to just kind of take as many nuggets from both sides, both teams as we can gathered a day or two in advance right up through the end of the game. In this case, we'll be able to add uh, reporting from the locker room that uh, doesn't cross too much with with our beat writers. And, and when we have multiple people from uh, our team, Sam, there, that doesn't cross with them either. But uh, I'm ex- really excited about it, uh, really hopeful that we build off the success from the All-Star game in the finals last year doing that and um, starts Tuesday. Good stuff. That sounds great. Um, Shams, I'm going to keep it in LA. I, and I, you know, full disclosure to the listeners, I just texted both these gentlemen, told them we we're going to talk playoff races in a few minutes here. But I, I have a high level of interest in both teams in LA. And I want to know, Shams, how you see LeBron specifically. And with this backdrop, you had a good piece, a, a really good piece last week, breaking down, you know, the, the Chinese conflict that the NBA has and the meetings that took place while the Lakers and Nets were in China. LeBron uh, took a leadership role in those meetings, had a lot to say as we've now, you know, since learned the extremely high level of frustration uh, in the direction of Daryl Morey, the Rockets GM who sent the tweet. I mean, I've written my view, my column, certainly disagreeing with LeBron on it, but you know, nonetheless, it makes for an extremely unique kind of preamble to his season and, and a year where, more than ever, he's going to be questioned from an age standpoint, from a mileage standpoint, uh, missing the playoffs for the first time in forever. But you got a co-star now. You got AD. What do you expect out of LeBron this season, and, and what version do you think we're going to see? I think we're going to see a motivated one, right? But I mean, when you look at a guy in his 17th season, he is, and I, you know, watching him in preseason, um, and I, I'm going to get a chance to see him on Tuesday night in LA when, when they play the Clippers, I haven't seen him live yet, but I mean, just like, like you guys have, but you know, just watching him and the way that he was performing, the way his Lakers teammates, people around that organization see him, like he hasn't, he doesn't look a, a step off from how he really ended with the Cavs in 2018. Like I think last year you could see his performance, his defense, like he needs to turn it up another level defensively. He needs to turn it up as far as effort wise on a nightly basis. I think that was clear last year, right? But if he does that, I mean, his game, how Chris's passing looks, his ball handling, his shooting, like everything is coming together. And this is year 17. I haven't seen anything like it this late in someone's career. Um, but again, well, how Shams, let me ask you this. For- 
Shams, you, look, I want to interrupt you because I'm going to ask you this. You just raised the point about LeBron and his defense, and we all talk about it. I talk about it, that it was noticeably poor last year, and I think that does send a ripple effect to the locker room. But the other side to that is, and the thing that he'll say when the, the, when the, the, the uh, recorders aren't around, is that it's, you know, playing defense now in October and November and December, that's kind of bullshit. You know, these are not the games that matter. The games that matter for him are in April and May and June. And yes, they did not get there last year. So that that is fair. But the (laughs) the point is, he's he's 34 years old. Um, He prides himself on playing his best basketball in the playoffs. And so he basically preserves himself uh, by not playing as hard defensively. And so my I guess what I want to drill down on with you is. How important is it that he does play defense now, and and how hard do you think he has to play on that side? I don't know if it's it's playing hard out all out defense as much as it's just setting a tone, right, and just being there. You know, if it's not every possession, every third possession, every four, like just setting a tone. And I think it, there's a difference between setting a tone defensively versus being, um, you know, being a lockdown specialty defender. Like you know, Robert, a guy like Robert Covington, for example, on Minnesota, like. He makes his name and, and, and his mark in the league by playing defense on every single possession. And if he doesn't, there's probably not much value, you know, that the coach may see from him. Obviously, he can shoot the three and whatnot. That's just one example. Obviously, LeBron does everything so well that, you know, if he takes a possession here, they're off defensively. Um, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But to me, just setting the tone, I think, is going to mean a lot. Last year, I think there was a little bit of a setback from that aspect of it. And I think, you know, as long as he does that, and I, I think that this year is going to be different. There's a lot more, you know, energy around this team. Obviously having Anthony Davis a part of this team, they, they clearly have gotten better as far as bringing in shooting guys like Danny Green. I think Avery Bradley, um, you know, you saw Quinn Cook play well the last preseason game. So they brought in players that are better than the ones they had last year. So anytime you add talent, that's going to help. I think Javon McGee and Dwight Howard proved that, you know, they're, they're not each, each of them separately are probably not great centers, but together they can be great um, on any given night. So I think this team clearly rounded out its roster. Now it's on LeBron and, and Anthony Davis to kind of take this team to that next level. Well, I'm going to follow Sam. quickly and throw this at both of you. Somebody grabbed the mic. Uh, we got to stay on brand here, gentlemen. We, we, this is the tampering podcast. And the name of our pod was born out of the chaos that, that erupted mostly from Lakerland. And Magic Johnson has been prominently featured on our intro and tampering has become a major part of the NBA story in this genre, this generation. Uh, where do you guys land? And, and for the listeners on the East Coast, certainly don't worry, we're going to get out of L.A. at some point. But where do the two of you land when it comes to the fact that both of these teams, uh, their they're critics, you know, the folks who have questions about the way their teams were formed, uh, look at both of them and have a lot of questions on that front. The, the Lakers and the way that Rich Paul handled the Anthony Davis situation um, certainly you know, had a lot of backlash. And then you had the Clippers situation, which I do think was unprecedented when it depends on which version of the story you believe. But in some form or fashion, you know, Kawhi Leonard was talking to the Clippers and contemplating coming that way and, and really forced the issue regarding going out and getting a player like Paul George. The Clippers were not. Uh, out of you know, right out of the gate, they were not in a position uh, to do that. And then essentially, the pressure got applied, and they made it happen, and they went and got Paul. Um, how does that fit into their story this year? And, and how do you guys see that? Just kind of the behind the scenes drama that led to the the two rosters. So we talk so much about tampering throughout the league, but we we talk and and we've we've talked at length about LeBron and and Anthony Davis and Rich Paul and everything that happened there um and Doc Rivers has been fined I think in the past for tampering and that, and that sort of thing the thing that the Clippers did last year that that you know made serious inroads to getting Kawhi Leonard that I cannot believe is legal and doesn't get talked about nearly as much as all this other stuff is they went to his games they sent like they sent front office executives two games that the Clippers were not involved in. They were not there in a scouting capacity. They were there. They're solely basically to to show support for Kawhi Leonard. And I don't know exactly how you police that, but I don't know how you police player to player contact for tampering either. I'm and gonna push that back is a just mind boggling to me. 
Joe, I got to get your response. I'm going to push back a little bit. I don't agree with you at all that it was simply to show support. Um, now this doesn't, this is equally fascinating, but I think there was a real element that did involve scouting. Now it's, this is kind of the mind blowing part. It wasn't scouting to see what they thought of him as a player. It was almost with the premise being that let's go ahead and assume that we get him and we've got him. You then need to learn as much as humanly possible about uh, his teammates at that time with the Raptors and essentially learn about what type of roster you want to build around him. My understanding of a lot of the, the trips that they made. Now, this is not Steve Ballmer. When Steve showed up to games early on and that got people's attention, that's a very different optic. But when you're talking about front office guys and scouts watching Raptors games, it was almost, you know, with that assumption that you're going to get Kawhi and then what types of players would fit best around him based uh, uh, based on his skill set, which is, you know, super interesting. But I think that was part of it, too. I, I mean, perhaps somebody told you that I, 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 they, I mean, they, in my conversations about this, that basically they were saying how underrated of a, of a, um, of a thing that was just to show up and show Kawhi that they were interested. Sure. Um, of course they, and yeah, they, they could do that. I mean, they, they could do what you're saying. You can certainly go and do all of that homework, but we we know and 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 I'm sure they did do that work but we know that if you if you take the sort of okay we get him now what out of the equation and just say all right you didn't do that homework do you want Kawhi Leonard on your team or not the answer is of course they want him so you would say more important than finding out what his teammates are like and and how he interacts with them and that sort of thing it is doing whatever it is that's important to Kawhi and, and kind of feeling wanted and kind of feeling like there was support. And, and that's not to say that he, that Toronto didn't show him that because the Raptors most certainly did, but he did feel like the Spurs didn't. And I think the Clippers kind of played on that and, and played into um, just, you know, what, what, what makes him comfortable. Does that mean in turn that the Lakers dropped the ball? Because I, I hear what you're saying, but the Lakers did not pursue him in that sort of unorth- unorthodox fashion. Um, is that a missed opportunity, you think? Well, we know that uh, last year, I mean, it's just, you know, we it's gone. Like this storyline is gone, guys, that, that the Lakers are the land of dysfunction. It wasn't that long ago that that was true. And, and I just don't think the Lakers were set up for that. Um, last year. I mean, they, they almost, they, they had a chance at, at Kawhi certainly. And for a while felt like they had him. And that's only a few weeks after losing magic Johnson, after losing Ty Lue as coach, when they thought that that was going to be the thing. Um, and so there was just so many moving parts there. Whereas the Clippers are a well-oiled front office machine with just, just guys who, I mean, just the guys that work together and have for a really long time and, and just strengths to, throughout the organization. So I, I guess they were more prepared to do something like it, uh, as, as, um, as broad as that, as that, you know, I, I actually, you know, going back to even July, 2018, I mean, when LeBron went to the Lakers, you know, I think Kawhi Leonard at one point was leaning more toward looking at the Lakers, but you know, he's been all of, he's been all about wanting his own infrastructure, wanting his own franchise, his own team. And you can kind of feel a certain bounce shift toward the Clippers. Like you heard it more from people around Kawhi Leonard. Like, listen, there are two teams in LA. It's not just a foregone conclusion that he wants to go to the Lakers just because everyone says, you know, the Lakers are the team in LA, the Lakers are the team in LA. You know, when it's, you know, when you look at it from an outsider's point of view, when is Kawhi Leonard just gone with whatever else, what everyone else is doing? He, he, he never has. So this is, he wanted to do his own thing. And, you know, there, there, there was a lot of chatter in free agency. There was one night in free agency I'll distinctly remember. Maybe it was the second or the third, but it was like the whole league from other GMs, owners, agents, players, all believed that Kawhi Leonard was going to the Lakers. Uh, I later found out, I believe that night was the Lake, the, the, the night he actually met with the Lakers. Um, so maybe that's why there was all this confidence. He later met with the Clippers and then um, the Raptors as well. But, you know, I think his mind was always leaning more toward the Clippers. And what someone told me a couple of days before his decision, someone close to Kawhi told me when 
you know, we'll wait as long as we need to wait. If it's mid-July, it's mid-July. If it's, you know, next month, we'll, like we'll wait. And looking back at it, what I think that meant was, I think we were looking at the Clippers all along and we were going to give them as much time as they needed to pull these, this mega deal off uh, to get Paul George because Kawhi Leonard wanted a second star to go along with them. He wanted Paul George. No, good stuff, Shams. And, and to add on to that, I mean, my understanding on the Lakers side is that, and this is going to, you know, infuriate Laker fans, is there was a moment in time where they thought they had him, where they thought this was happening, and and then it didn't. And I, I'm assuming that what changed was Paul coming the Clippers' way, or maybe it was just bad intel on the Lakers side, but there was a, a brief moment where they thought they had him. Uh, we got to make sure that we take care of the the new listeners on the East Coast. We got to kick it that direction. Shams and Joe, you both are, are coming from the east side. Uh, how do we see this thing? This is the, the hard pivot I'm going to give you is that for me in the east, I get that Philly is fascinating because they're super big and Al Horford comes to town. That's worth getting into. Kemba Walker taking Kyrie Irving's spot in Boston. That's fascinating. Jimmy Butler in Miami. There's all kinds of storylines, but I feel like you you just by default, you have to start with the MVP and Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, he's coming off a of summer where he, uh, he had a, a very strange showing for the Greece national team, uh, Greek national team in the FIBA World Cup. Um, I was yelling at the television because their coach just never put the ball in his hands, and it was very strange to watch, and they got bounced pretty quickly. But you also saw in FIBA and then in the preseason that Giannis, who is you know beyond coming into his own and has become this absolute force within the league, he still has that kind of puppy dog competitiveness where he's going to give you fifth gear effort, you know, in the preseason uh, when it doesn't matter. And I think that's great for the viewers in the regular season, because I think that it's very possible that we're looking at a back-to-back MVP showing for Giannis. Um, So let's start with him. And and Joe, you've got a good pulse on all the different squads in the East and and Milwaukee loses Malcolm Brogdon. I think that's a tough loss. He goes to Indiana. um, So they're not quite the same team. But, you know, how do you see the Bucks and the idea that, you know, they, they want to come out of the East? Yeah, I, I actually don't have them coming out of the East. I'm looking at the Sixers. Um, I just I, I like Agreed, uh, I think I OK, I, I like the balance there. And I just I, I do feel like Milwaukee got a little worse. Um, I actually man, I, I don't even have Giannis uh, winning MVP this year. Uh, Shams, what do you think? Well, hold on. Who'd you have, Joe? Yeah. Who was your MVP? Yeah, I think that if the Lakers are good, uh, I think Anthony Davis is your MVP. Okay. Man, me and Joe are on the same page today. today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I have. I also have Philly coming out of the East. I just think it, it's going to take them time because integrating Al Horford with Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson, like that's going to take time. You know, it'll be interesting to see how their bench comes into play. I, I, you know, maybe they might need to bring in a veteran shooter as the year goes on. But I think from from a roster standpoint, on paper, like. To me, they're deeper. I think they're just more top-heavy, have more talent, um, you know. And, you know, we, I think Al Horford's going to be great for them because as a leader and as someone that can play the five when Joel Embiid wants to sit out the game here or there. And just, you know, I spent time with both Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons um, early in training camp, and I think they both understood this summer where they needed to get better at, right? Joel Embiid, his fitness, he he I, he would be the first to admit his fitness wasn't there the second half of the season during, during the playoffs. He took complete ownership of why that team lost because if that's a hundred percent Joel Embiid, that team should have been a finals team last year, but they end up losing in game seven on that shot by Kawhi Leonard and Ben Simmons. He went and, and started to refine his offensive game. Even if he's not making threes to be able to have that confidence uh, to be something of a threat anywhere outside of 10 to 12 feet, I think will go a long way for the Sixers. So yeah, I mean, I I think that you know I'm with Joe on this, and and along with that, with the MVP as well. I think if the Lakers do what the Lakers are expected to do, I think Anthony Davis is going to have a monster statistical year. All right, Shams, give me an argument for three teams who have a chance to be th- third in the East. Mm, that's a that's that's a great question. I think Boston for sure. You can throw in there. Um, you're insane. <laughs> Boston is the third team. Oh, you're, are you joking? Just, is this thing on? <laughs> <laughs> was that Jade laughing um, in the background? That was great. Um, 
I'll go with Boston. You know, I, I think you can throw Toronto in there. I think they're going to be, you know, I think there's a lot of competitive players on that team that want to prove a point that even though we lost Kawhi Leonard, you know, we're still a team that's going to compete in the Eastern Conference and I don't blame them. Um, and then my third team, you know, look, Brooklyn or Miami to me, I'll go with Miami. I think, you know, okay. Jimmy Butler is going to give that team a lot of confidence, but I mean, I can see, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll stay with Miami as my third for, but you're right. It's wide open. Sam, give me your question again. I, I'm confused. I'm I, trying to read I, your action. I, I need an here. argument. I need an argument for three different teams to finish third. Because I feel like the reason why I'm asking is I feel like it's a large pool. I think after Milwaukee and Philly, you can do whatever you want with those two. Um, after that, I think it's harder to figure out in the East. And there are, I'd say, four to five teams that you can make the case could could climb all the way up to third. So you're going, um, Sean right. named him. So, so you're so, going crazy. So over, I don't know who you think. Yeah. You're going crazy over Boston at three. Am I am I reading that right? No, I'm just messing around. No, Miami's an interesting one. Um, and and he, as Shams talked about Philly, I was, maybe we can find a way to get back to this. I was dying to know if what he thought of Jimmy's path to Miami and whether or not the Sixers ever had a shot. I thought that whole subplot was interesting, but let's hit the pause button on that. So my three for the third spot, I mean, I think Boston's in there. Indiana, and this is uh, ironic that I would bring the Pacers up in this fashion. You know, we reported this week that the Mata Sabonis, uh, as we do the pod far apart in a extension discussions with the Pacers and you know, the Pacers have had talks with teams about him, but let's assume a deal doesn't happen there. Miles Turner uh, with him in the front court, Victor Oladipo doing pretty well on the recovery route. And yeah. if Vic comes back and you've got some bonus, you know, let's say essentially playing for restricted free agency, got a lot to prove. Uh, that's a team that had 48 wins without Oladipo for most of the year. And I think, you know, that's a squad that, that uh, again, the stars might align, even if they have a certain level of tension or, you know, kind of, you know, uncomfortableness, if you will. Um, sometimes that creatively is good. And I think Nate McMillan's a phenomenal coach and I could see them being in that mix. Um, I mean, Brooklyn, I always have a hard time handicapping squads that we just haven't seen. And so, all the ifs that come with the Nets. Is Kyrie going to wear a different hat leadership-wise with this group? He's saying all the right things early on. Um, are they going to be able to – they're kind of the Clippers of the East in terms of this plucky, you know, gritty group that did some really positive things before the Stars came to town. Can they yep. maintain that culture and then merge that with the star power? And if they can, and if Kenny Atkinson can pull the right strings – then I think they could really be onto something and then shoot next summer. You know, when you get Kevin Durant back, you're in business. Um, so I think those, uh, those would be my three. So the Pacers, I mean, that's a great call on the Pacers and, uh, you know, we all had to fill these out for sort of the athletics national desks, uh, NBA preview that I think comes today or Tuesday. I, I don't know when it comes out, but it comes out soon. I'm kicking myself. I forgot the Pacers. Damn it. Uh, oh, you didn't you put them in the playoffs. Great pick. Great you make it. You make it. You make pick. a great. Yeah, it's a great pick. Uh, Oladipo, if he comes back strong, you know, Nate McMillan is an excellent coach. I do like that. Um, I, I yeah, like just, the and heat. Just jumping in and, and just jumping in, like yeah. on the Oladipo point, like I, he he's come, like Sam said, a long way. Like if if it was Game Seven of the Finals today, I think that he would really give it a go. But obviously, this team wants to give, and obviously, he also wants to get back to the form that he left at, which was, you know, damn near, you know, one of the top guards in the Eastern Conference, one of the top guards in the league, and all stars. So he's going to take his time. Like I, I, I guess sometime in, in the new year, uh, January, February, at the latest, that he'll get, try to give it a go this season. But um, there's no doubt, like if he's if he's healthy and this team can find the rotation that everyone is, is happy with. And, and, you know, I, I think this, they can be a threat as well for, for three. So, you know, going back to Boston and I spent a lot of time with the Celtics last year, I was high on them. Um, I, I thought Kyrie would be better and certainly they, they had peaks and valleys and it just didn't work out. And he's been replaced with Kemba Walker, who 
is a seems to be a very nice man for one. Um, spent a lot of time with him with Team USA over in China, and I was really impressed and, and really enjoyed dealing with him. Um, and certainly, all the new Celtic or all the old Celtics compare him favorably to Kyrie in terms of fitting in and kind of doing what Brad wants. Um, but he's not the same player, and I don't know how I don't know how he's going to hold up under the kind of pressure that a Boston Celtics team that's otherwise pretty good is going to be in come playoff time or or to to make a a, a run and, and that sort of thing. My question for them. However, we all watched them two years ago push the Cavs to a seventh game in the Eastern Conference Finals without a Kyrie or without Gordon Hayward. So Brad has shown that if he has a team that plays together and nothing else, forget about the stars, forget about the closer. If he just has guys who play together, he can get a lot out of them. And the Celtics do seem like they're ready to do that. See, we went full circle there. You were you were mocking Shams for giving some love to the Celtics, and then here you are <laughs> propping them up. Come on now. Good job, Joe. Hey, let me – I'm going to throw it to Shams with this. Uh, and, and Shams, we'll let you go, brother. I know it's uh, past when, when we said we'd uh, let you out of here. But because you keep have – Keep man. We got, we got topics to hit. Let's go. Thanks. I like – if you're game, we'll keep going. <laughs> so I, I need to put this in your lap because it's, it's right up your alley. Um, you've always got such a good pulse on – you know, kind of the, the stuff that's coming news wise down the line and the, the stories that are kind of percolating, if you will. Um, I'll, I'll frame it this way. Our new addition, and this is another shameless athletic promotion, our new addition to the NBA team, the one and only John Hollinger, formerly of ESPN, uh, went off to the Memphis Grizzlies front office for a number of years. And I could not be more excited about his addition at our, our squad. So John wrote recently uh, a piece that essentially tried to handicap all the different teams that are uh, in, in the best position to make trades before the February trade deadline. And his point was that we always make these predictions about the coming season through the filter of what the roster looks like right now. And it was a fantastic point where he basically broke down like, no, like these rosters are going to look different a couple months from now. And it's going to be directly related to who had the most assets, who was you know in, in the prime position to do those kinds of moves. So... You tell me what you think about the, you know, the short list in your mind of stars who might be on the move. And, and you know, if you had to kind of almost predict, you know, a blockbuster or something it was some pop to it uh, later in the season, you know, who which situations are you monitoring most closely? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, when you obviously Brad Beal's off the board, but I think, you know, guys like Chris Paul. Um, you still need to monitor Andre Godala. I don't know if he counts as a as a star player, but a, a name. But you know, I think even a guy like Andrew Wiggins, right? Is what is Minnesota depending on how their season goes? And a lot of these are just depending on how how each of these teams play, how these players play, if they're fit. Um, but I would you know keep an eye on him in Minnesota. Um, but it, like. You know, I think all the movement this past year drowned out a lot of the notable star players. You're going to see, based on how teams perform, guys become available. Um, you know, what what will the Spurs do with their situation with DeMar DeRozan and their extension talks with him? Are they going to get a deal done? Um, where will that situation end up playing out? I think that's something to monitor. So, you know, all things that I've written about have been written about. Um, um, those are really the ones off the top of my head, though. Joe, what about you? Grab that question. As far as far as just stars, I mean, Kevin Love, you know, is the one that everybody talks about, you know, where's Kevin going to land? We always, you know, last year was Jimmy Butler. Uh, Honestly, you know, this is premature, but like the the Oladipo situation in Indiana, I think people are already kind of monitoring, you know, where is he at uh, with that organization? And it's just that idea that, you know, unbeknownst to us, there are always uh, a, a fair number of really good basketball players who would probably prefer to be somewhere else and other teams are going to try to exploit that. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll focus on Kevin if only because, you know, Shams hit the other guys and, and also, I mean, Kevin's the one that I know the best. I mean, his situation is so unique. Uh, Yes, of course he wants uh, out of Cleveland and, and onto a winner, um, because th- it's going to be a long time before the, the Cavs are, are any good again. 
but it's not that simple and and it's not even that simple for him um he barely played last year guys like he i think he played like 20 some games and he's got this massive contract and he's 30 years old and the rest of the league doesn't quite know what to make of him like if they trade for him fine but then is he worth the investment yeah, I, I don't know, and 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 neither does anybody who who would make that move. So Kevin is is gonna play. Like he he needs to play for the Cavs for a while, and he needs to look good. And part of that is having a great attitude, which um, so far in camp, just from what I've told, I, he's he's been good. But you know, it, it if if they play like they did in the preseason, um, you know, they lost one game by forty six, and then Boston's G League beat beat them at home by about twenty five points. Um, it, it, it could get trying uh, just because Kevin had already lived through the sort of the darker side of this for the few games he was around last year. So, um, he, yeah, he's a guy. I mean, the Cavs, w- w- of course, would be open to moving him, but they don't want to move him for nothing. Um, they, they want pieces that, that make sense for them as they do this rebuild. Uh, so they're not going to sell them just for parts. Um, and so it's, it's not as easy as, well, yeah, Kevin, Kevin was an all-star and the Cavs are rebuilding. So just trade him. It's, it's more complicated than that. We alluded to this at the top, guys, but we have a good crowd here in terms of this next topic that I think we need to get into. And, and we did bury the lead a little bit because this is on the short list of top stories in, in the NBA right now. Um, the China situation is not going away as recently as yesterday. Chinese government got extremely frustrated yet again with Adam Silver's breakdown of the situation. Uh, say what you will about the way that Adam came out of the gate. In terms of his messaging, and the league put out a statement that certainly did not didn't you know didn't land well, but he has made the hard choice to stick up for free speech, and he has made that you know in direct conflict with what the Chinese government would prefer. He then talked to Time Magazine. It was a panel with Robin Roberts where he told her that the Chinese government had attempted to uh, force him to fire Daryl Morey. He obviously pushed back against that, chose not to. Um, this thing's not going away. LeBron has certainly been part of the fabric of it. The Nets have stayed very quiet, uh, you know, and which, listen, they have Joe Tsai as their owner, uh, you know, somebody from Taiwan, but with deep ties to the, the Chinese government and his government or his company, rather, Alibaba. Uh, a lot of layers to this thing. And Shams, I, I mentioned it earlier, but, you know, you had reported on the way things went down in China. Do you feel like the, the story is getting any less hot and, and, and what's kind of the next phase of what we're going to be looking at here. Yeah. I don't know if less hot is the word, but I think it's a backdrop for the whole league, all teams, players, agents, everyone is, has it in the back of their mind. And I think really the next step will be to see if some of these television outlets in China, such as CCTV, are they going to continue, continue to blackball games in China once the start of the regular season? Um, is, is on Tuesday, right? So I think a lot of teams, as I wrote on Friday in, in my inside pass, a lot of teams are starting to circle Tuesday opening night is the date to see, like, is China going to blackball those games over there? You know, or are they going to, you know, open it back up? Because if they open it back up, then I think there's a good, situ- I think there's a good chance that these sides can can start to rekindle a relationship. If they continue to, to blackball the games in China, you know, whether it's CCTV or, or Tencent or whoever, ends up doing something like that, then obviously it puts the league at jeopardy of losing the billions and millions of dollars that they have in play in China. And at that point, that becomes an, an issue for sure, as far as how the league is going to, is going to deal with it. Um, you know, when I looked at Adam Silver's first statement that he made, I believe it was Sunday after Daryl's tweets on, on that Friday, you know, I, I think it was the stance that they, the only stance that they could take at the time, which was, listen, we're going to admit that that statement, how you feel was regrettable to us, but they didn't technically apologize in the statement as people thought. And they had to, you know, they had to kind of play both sides because of their relationship with China. And then once China started to make, you know, as I wrote, small power plays, you know, removing their, any, you know, any type of affiliation with Houston, taking off, you know, broadcast streams of games, and making life really, really hell for the Lakers and the Nets who are in both in China, you know, a lot of players getting 
hundreds of thousands, million dollar, you know, whether it's endorsement appearances, deals, all done. You know, I report on two Rockets players, you know, losing. And I later found out hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of deals in China, um, you know, after that whole in- incident happened. So when all these things happen, obviously it's diff- difficult to deal with. And then, you know, Adam Silver doubles down and completely supports uh, Daryl Morey. And I think that was for a lot of the, I mean, what's, what's the America, what, what's the first crowd for the NBA? It's America. So, right. so supporting that I thought made, made a lot of sense. Like you had to do that. You couldn't just fully go into, in the, in the bed with China, you have to respect the relationship with China, but um, taking their side over, you know, the American side, obviously that's not something that Adam Silver, um, you know, did, but I think overall, like this is a very tricky thing. I don't think anyone wanted to be dealing with this um, in the league within, within the NBA, but listen, they're here and, you know, eventually, you know, it was, it's going to come to a head, whether it's this upcoming year, this upcoming week when, you know, teams get to see whether, you know, China ends up broadcasting these games or not. So Shams, I, I mean, just to be clear for our listeners, like you did the reporting basically on what we call the TikTok sort of how, or sort of what happened, like kind of a uh, chronology of events, um, what happened and sort of what went into each event. So like we, uh, when Adam was in Japan and he said X and then he shows up in China and there's a meeting, with Adam and all the players and, and some stuff went down there. Um, and it was just a great story. You know, we really, really appreciate it. Um, there's some context that I find interesting, uh, though, or not though it's, it's not like it has anything to do with your, with, with your reporting. It's just Adam Silver isn't doing this alone. He has a, a large staff of advisors, um, including, uh, at least two, I believe, who worked in the in previous White Houses, um, and, and it's interesting, Sam, that one of them, uh, who is actually uh, Joe Biden's um, speechwriter in the White House, uh, <laughs> was on the trip to India with you, and so who knows what kind of access he had um, when all this was going down, like when the very first shit was hitting the fan, like Friday through Sunday, like. Who, who knows what kind of access he had? Um, and I'm just curious, like, how they came to that state, that original statement, Shams. And then my other question is, um, who who or why did Daryl take down that tweet? What, who told him to do that? Well, I, w- I wish I had an answer for you on the second one. I The only person that can answer that one is Daryl or Adam Silver, maybe. But I, I think that's a Daryl question. I don't know who had him take it down. Um, but um, how did they arrive at the first statement? I mean, listen, like that one was a tricky statement. Like, I think, I think the point that they wanted to get across was, listen, like if, if I think it was, it was seeing both points of views, right. Is we're supporting Daryl, you know, nowhere in there did they condemn Daryl. I think for what he said, I think what they meant to say was, right. You know, what I read from it was that if you guys feel a certain way about this, if you are taking offense, which they clearly were, you know, in China, um, you know, we, we regret that, but, you know, obviously we are a league of open, you know, I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the statement in front of me, but you know, the league has always been open to freedom of expression. You know, you have guys speaking out across the league about various topics and politics and in America and whatnot. So I think that was the point they were trying to make is seeing both sides. But once the backlash came so strong, it's like, at that point you have to pick a side and it's really a lose lose in, in a lot of ways, because if you if you want to show support to a business partner abroad in China, which has deals with a bunch of companies across America. And I think Sam's talked about this a little bit, but I mean, you know, the NBA is the only American partner that China has done deals with, right? You have, you know, Apple. And I think there was a story that came out that same week where Apple had an app that, that also disrupted some, some people in China and it became an issue. And then Apple down the app. So, the protesters in Hong Kong were using an, an yeah, Apple app so, and they deleted it. Yeah. So what would the equivalent of that be in the NBA? Would that have been the NBA succumbing and, 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 and firing Daryl Morey? Um, I don't know. I don't know what the equivalent of that is, but you know, you, it's not like the NBA is the only league that, that has a business relationship with, with China. So, you know, they had to, at some level, maintain that relationship and, and have a discourse with them and back and forth. But, 
Um, you know, clearly once the backlash came so strong in America, where it, was, it seemed like they were condemning Daryl's freedom of expression, freedom of speech, and siding with the Chinese, that they, you know, Adam had to make it known. Like, if there was any question about where I stand on this, here it is. No, all good points. I mean, listen, the, the NBA definitely found itself in a perfect storm here because as they tried to navigate this situation and figure out what statements to make, uh, the U.S. government just so happened to be having a lot of momentum towards supporting Hong Kong. Also. Yeah, the trade war the as well. That's a major a factor. War in China. Right, right. But I mean, then, you know, the, the House passes uh, a bill that the Democracy and Human Rights Act that didn't even need a vote uh, because it passed with flying colors. And so then when, you know, once that happens that, and listen, far be it for me to ever say that every single move our government makes is the right one, but it did create a backdrop where for NBA people, it was, you're either with us or against us. And, and this really, I'm not, this is not hyperbole. I mean, this is the first time in years that politicians on both sides of the aisle have agreed on anything. And that is killing the NBA whenever people thought that they weren't supporting free speech enough. Now, so Joe had asked you, Shams, some Daryl stuff. Now, I don't have the answer either to the question of who made Daryl delete the tweet or if he did it on his own. I do not have clarity on that. You know, I have reported a couple of times already that to fill in some of the context here, you know, there's – and listen, the disclaimer is extremely sensitive story. Uh, this part I can share that like, you know, the the one development that, that it does seem clear had essentially led to that tweet happening – was the you know the Hong Kong uh, Jade? You got to fill this in for me, brother. It's Carrie Lam. What is her official position? Executive. She is the chief executive of Hong Kong, Sam. Okay, so Carrie Lam uh, essentially had pushed for a new law in which protesters who wore masks uh, would face up to one year imprisonment, and there was a new law that you could not wear masks in Hong Kong. Now, the folks who did not trust the Chinese government were very concerned about this new law because the fear was that it was all intended to expose protesters' faces and lead to facial recognition and, you know, essentially behind the scenes damage being done to anybody who dares protest. That specific subplot to the protest is the thing that pushed Daryl over the edge on this tweet. Um, and, and man, you talk about a quandary here because like I said a minute ago, the U.S. government has made its stance known. Then you have the, the flip side, which is – and there's a lot of nuance here, but you know, a lot of American-born players who – and I get this. I don't agree with it, but I get it – who seem to have a sense that, like, listen, we have so many problems in our country, and we simply don't feel like looking at the other side of the globe and trying to fix some other country's problems when we can't get enough attention on travesties that are happening right here in our homeland. And that's where this whole entire issue gets off the tracks in terms of NBA players trying to figure out the right thing to say, figuring out, you know, I mean, it's every single time they open their mouths, you're going to piss off somebody. There's just, that's inevitable. So that, you know, I don't, I mean, that's, and that part, I do sympathize with them. It's not easy to say, if you say no comment, you have no balls basically, and, and you don't have a voice. Uh, if you speak your mind, then you know you're going to fall on one side of the aisle or the other. Uh, again, it's it is unprecedented. So to make, and I'm going to pick up there. Um, you you mentioned that players uh, have gotten in trouble themselves for what they have said or not said, which leads us to LeBron, who said some stuff that got him in just about as much trouble, if not more, than he has ever been in his career. Um, it's hard to defend it. And so we won't, Unless you're in China. Uh, but, 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 sh- well, I guess, but, uh, um, there's no appetite for that, uh, whatsoever. Um, and, and Shams, I, it's, this is the interesting part I thought is that again, this thing came from your story in a way, and I'll explain it. Uh, the, the, his response about Daryl being about not understanding what was going on and about free speech, you got to be careful with it because it can cost you money and it can cost you safety and that kind of thing. That was in response to my question. And what I was asking him was, is that basically, listen, Shams reported, um, that you guys had a meeting 
with uh, Adam. And you guys were asking um, if Daryl was going to be punished or fired for this. Um, and the feeling behind that was, hey, if a, if a black player had cost the league the same amount of money that Daryl did, there would certainly be penalty. And so it is that is the context from where LeBron answered the question. I'm just curious to you, like through your your reporting, like how much the anger was present at the time. And, uh, that players were upset uh, that that Daryl hadn't been um, reprimanded for that specific reason, not because of what he did, but because of the cost. And they felt that if they had done the same thing and cost that kind of money, they would have been penalized too. I think everyone around the league was asking that question, not even just the players that were in that meeting, the Lakers and Nets meeting. The big thing, the big trigger point that I heard about and I reported on was you know, Adam Silver pitching to the players and speaking to the players about, you know, facing the media while they were in China and really supporting the league stance, backing the league on the freedom of expression and just continue to support the league. Now, this wasn't like a, you know, something that, you know, we, I need you to, I need you guys to do all this. You guys, I'm forcing you guys to do this. That's what it is. No, this is more an idea that, that Adam Silver and the league officials you know, brought to the players and a meeting that included all 38 players that were there with the Lakers and Nets, you know, each team's executives, coaches, and LeBron was the one player that spoke up and, and backed the players and, and essentially said, listen, we're not the ones that need to be speaking out on this. This is on you guys. This is on whether it's Adam Silver, the league. Yeah. And until you guys do that, it's not, it's not fair for us to do that. And, that was really the the tipping off point to the meeting to the back and forth dialogue that took place. Um, you know, why were the players even put in that position to begin with? Right. It was an executive's tweet from, you know, hundreds and thousands of miles away, you know, at the time Joe was in Japan. So I think that was the real tipping off point in the meeting and everyone went back and forth. It was a players only meeting. And by the time they all reconvened, I think everyone just agreed you know, Adam Silver was essentially being barred from speaking in China as well. The Chinese government had canceled his press conference in China. So when you factor everything in, it's just the right decision was made. The players weren't going to face the media in China and everything was essentially blocked off. And there was a lot of questions because that in and of itself was unprecedented as well for league. So open to media, to social media and all that for them to bar media from speaking to the players when you had a bunch of, you know, American reporters, reports from CNN, this had the third, all travel out to China to go see these players um, and see these teams and cover a storyline uh, to not be able to speak. I was un unprecedented too. So um, to me, that was the big tipping off point was the, the back and forth and the, the uh, eventually landing on the agreement that we're not going to speak. Um, but obviously, you know, I think everyone, you know, could tell LeBron was frustrated at, at that tweet. Just a quick follow, Shams, and good perspective. I think one thing that's been overlooked here that's, that's definitely worth highlighting is that in my recollection, this is the first time that Adam Silver and LeBron are on the opposite sides of an issue. That doesn't mean I'm not trying to characterize this as them being at odds or trying to be dramatic about it, but they don't see this situation the same way. LeBron has been extremely frustrated with Daryl Morey. Uh, I mean, listen, he chose to use his voice in the kind of way that it seemed pretty clear that he was hoping that would lead to some sort of discipline. And Adam has pushed back against the Chinese government and also pushed back against LeBron. It's the most powerful player in the NBA. And he's made a conscious choice to go ahead and, and not follow through on the wishes of that player in this particular instance. The other, you know, I, I guess counter I would have to some of the perspective we shared here is I, I just simply don't understand from LeBron's point of view and I respect his right to feel the way he feels. I don't know what precedent he, he might point to re regarding the idea uh, that if Daryl had a, a different skin color that he'd be in trouble here because the league has done nothing but support the voices of players every time they had something to say about important social issues. Um, that admittedly, like that's the part I just can't, I cannot connect those two dots. I don't see where he's at. I understand um, that the general idea that you would, for very, very, very good reason, be, you know, hyper aware of that type of treatment from an $8 billion a year company like the NBA. I just don't think it lands in this stance, uh, instance, but you know, that's where this stuff gets really complicated. Well, he, 
certainly what he said didn't land and and he was not supposed to say that um i mean not only didn't land from, joe but you and i sorry for jumping in well, wait, but, 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 but you want to know his his perspective like where he's coming from on this and and i i have it it, but it's not exactly from where like it's not ex- it's not coming from an apples to apples thing like he's not saying oh like here are examples no where, i mean i have uh, it too players. i just don't agree with it. i have it i okay, don't agree well, let's with ex- it, you know? but let's explain it yeah let's yeah. explain it and his, his his thing is is that whether it's in the league or in the media or to fans that there is no problem when a white owner um, or front office or whatever the case may be trades players who are under contract and don't want to leave. But then when a player, um, you know, puts like takes on the power, whether how he's done it with his contracts or, you know, how he and many other players have talked about getting together to play on certain teams and that messes up front office plans and, and it angers fans and whatever that there's a problem. He's basically saying like, it's fine for the for ownership not to show loyalty to a contract uh, by trading it, but then it is not okay for a player not to show loyalty to a team that had paid that player previously by moving on in free agency. That that is where it's coming from, and I'm not you know you, well, you knew you that said, I know you with good that. reason. You said apples to oranges, and again, I don't I, I don't I'm a sucker for like understanding where somebody's coming from. I just don't have to agree with it. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't land for me. For me, and to piggyback on that, there's two hypotheticals. Uh, one that I did get a chance to ask LeBron, one that I would love to ask him down the road. So the first one, on the second day that he spoke, I asked him the question of, you know, I said, LeBron, you tweeted last night that uh, that Daryl could have waited a week to send that tweet. Does that then mean that you would have been comfortable with whatever the ripple effect might have been from that tweet, if he had simply sent it after the Lakers and Nets were back from China. Admittedly, I'm thinking to myself, like, if he wants to wiggle out of the PR nightmare that he's in, and this was not the intent of the question, but it, the opportunity was there, he could have said, yeah, that's all I mean. It's just a case of, you know, uh, timing, and that's it. Instead, he said, well, that's hypothetical. You can't really tell how you're going to feel. And so, unfortunately, the headline remains, don't mess with my money. China makes a lot of money for Nike. China makes a lot of money for the NBA. Hong Kong has 7 million people. It's hard not to draw that conclusion. The other hypothetical is that, that I it go, remains unanswered is, and I think this is really potentially important, what if it wasn't Daryl Morey who sent the tweet? And what if it was Greg Popovich? I think part of what has happened here is that Daryl does not have an extremely high approval rating at all among players. And he didn't have the cachet built up when it comes to exercising his freedom of speech, having a voice. Uh, Yes, he has spoken out on certain issues relating to the ACLU in the past, but they've mostly stayed under the radar on Twitter. Um, I I wonder about that. And I think it would have been a very different situation if, uh, you know, if this had been a a different voice or a different person who sent that tweet. The thing that, that, that is the undercurrent here is that, For years and years and years, the Rockets were accused in the player community of not paying attention to the human element enough. They saw players as pieces, chess pieces. And and Daryl, I mean, if you Google his name, and I I admittedly, and I make fun of myself, I did this the other day. If you Google his name and genius, because he's had that label in the past, it's you see headlines about how the genius who is too smart for his own good. And so there has been... This perception that you know he was not somebody who was in lockstep with the different views the players might have. In fact, quite the opposite. Where you know if, if he signs you one day, but he can move you three days later to get you know uh, even the, uh, a mild asset uh, in return, that he would do it. We're gonna. Shams has got to head out. I want to make sure we thank him for all of his time. Hey, great stuff, man. I, I think we still have you on the line here. We appreciate you. We're going to have you back soon and uh, enjoy the, the start of the year, man. No doubt. So many topics. I appreciate you guys taking the time to have me on. I think this is a great episode. appreciate you guys. Thank no, you. Thank you for coming on, man. We really, really appreciate it.
No, that was good. No, that we was were gonna, really good. We were going to talk I, to him about Zion, but but no offense. So, yeah, Sam, I I, I really um, that, that's actually a, a point that hasn't been out there, and and I really I really like that one um, a lot. I, I do I, the the part about him, like he, of course, he's he's highly, highly, highly intelligent. Um, of course he did not expect to happen what happened. Right. Right. And so if you want to say like, I mean, I've told you off air and I, I yeah. I'll repeat it like that. He thought that it was going to be like a, in my understanding from talking to people around him is that he thought that it was going to be on par with, you know, uh, when Steve Kerr talks about the need for, you know, AR 15s to disappear, that it would be a story for a short time. The part, you know, no irony intended here, but, party didn't i don't think anticipate is the chinese government kind of turning all of its weapons towards the nba i've been on my soapbox recently with people within the nba uh, about the idea that from adam silver to the rest of the top nba executives and then every company who's facing a similar challenge with china uh you know the apples the versace's the mercedes benz's the blizzards all these different companies these are different versions of the same story. They need to do a CEO summit where especially the American based companies need to come to some, have some discourse about the challenge, have some uniformity. China is, they, they are, and this is, yes, I'm getting political. They're picking off every American company in a silo because none of these companies are coordinating whatsoever. They don't know what to do when they face this challenge head on and then they see the books and then the answer seems crystal clear and then they just shit the bed for lack of a better way of putting it and if you if you get together and, and again get insight from every corner i mean blizzard's situation for anybody who has not read up on that is very analogous to the nba's the revenue streams are very similar in terms of what they make annually and what portion comes out of china they suspended a video gamer for a year because he voiced support for hong kong after having a professional video game uh, that was kowtowing to China. And, you know, and their CEO, ironically, is widely known to be a, a very left leaning person in his you know personal life. But he is running a company that is, you know, that is looking at this bottom line. It's really, you know, close to what the NBA is going through. But there's no coordination whatsoever between all these different companies. Listen, you guys and for the listeners, you know, I'm going to keep putting the commercial hat on. You think this is good. Get behind the paywall. You'll see Joe's exclusive on LeBron, me talking to Steph Curry, uh, Shams breaking down the latest on uh, everything and everything in the NBA. Uh, my wife just texted me. The meat is marinated and ready to yeah. barbecue. <laughs> what? Yeah. Does that sound like a devil on thunder? What meat <laughs> are we talking about? Pork? Steak? <laughs> uh, I don't know what we're having. I was not informed. She went to the grocery store, but I'm being beckoned. Wait, who's the cook of the house? I'm the barbecuer. That's the extent of my cooking abilities. So, <laughs> All right, gentlemen. I think that's going to do it for the first Above the Paywall episode of Tampering. Thank you so much to the listeners for joining us. If you like what you heard, make sure you go subscribe to the pod. Give us a nice review as we try to build this thing out on the other side of the paywall. But if you're not with us on the inside of The Athletic, you got to come along. NBA coverage that I think is the best in the business. Cover all sports as well. All for one price. And this week, 40% off. If you go to theathletic.com backslash NBA tip off, you get 40% off your subscription. You also get a seven-day free trial. Make sure you go check that out and come along for the ride. Thank you to Joe Varden, my co-host and partner. Thank you to Sham Sharania, NBA insider, who was great on this episode. Super producer Jade Hoy. We will be back with you next week. Thank you, folks. Mm-hmm.